used in the past. It seemed simpler to use the same names throughout the book rather than change them from period to period. Thus, Algeria is used for a certain region in North Africa, even though the name came into use only in modern centuries. In general, I have used names which will be familiar to those who read mainly in English. The word Maghrib is probably familiar enough to be used rather than Northwest Africa, but Mashrik is not, and so I have used Middle East instead. I have called the Muslim parts of the Iberian Peninsula Andalus because it is simpler to use one word than a phrase. When I use a name which is now that of a sovereign state, in writing about a period before that state came into existence, I employ it to refer to a certain region roughly defined. It is only when I write of the modern period that I intended to refer to the area included within the frontiers of the state. For example, throughout most of the book, Syria refers to a certain region which has common features, both physical and social, and on the whole has had a single historical experience. But I use it only to refer to the state of Syria once it has come into existence after the First World War. I need scarcely say that such uses do not imply any political judgment about which states should exist and where their frontiers lie. Dates From early Islamic times, Muslims have dated events from the day of Muhammad's emigration from Mecca to Medina in AD 622. This emigration is known in Arabic as the Hijra, and the usual way of referring to Muslim years in European languages is by the use of the initials A.H. A year according to the Muslim calendar is not of the same length as a year according to the Christian calendar. The latter is measured by a complete revolution of the earth around the sun, which takes approximately 365 days. But the former consists of 12 months, each of which corresponds to a complete revolution of the moon around the earth, the length of a year measured in these terms is approximately 11 days less than that of a solar year. Information about ways of converting Muslim into Christian dates or vice versa can be found in GSP Freeman Grenville, The Muslim and Christian Calendars, London 1977. Christian era dates are used except when the context makes it important to indicate the Muslim date or century. For rulers, dates of accession and death or deposition are given. For other persons, dates of death and birth. When the date of birth is not known, that of death alone is given. For instance, died 1456. When the person is still alive, only the date of birth is given. For instance, born 1905. When the date is known only approximately, circa is used. For instance, circa 1307 to 58. Prologue. In the year 1382, an Arab Muslim scholar who served the ruler of Tunis asked his permission to make the pilgrimage to Mecca, and having received it, took ship for Alexandria in Egypt. In his fiftieth year he was leaving, as it turned out forever, the countries of the Maghrib, in which he and his ancestors had played an important and varied part. Abd al-Rahman ibn Khaldun, 1332 to 1406, belonged to a family which had gone from southern Arabia to Spain after it was conquered by the Arabs and settled in Seville. When the Christian kingdoms of northern Spain expanded southwards, the family left for Tunis. Many families with a tradition of culture and state service did the same, 
and they formed in the cities of the Maghrib, the western part of the world of Islam, a patriciate whose services were used by local rulers. Ibn Khaldun's great-grandfather played a part in the court politics of Tunis, fell from favor, and was killed. His grandfather was also an official, but his father abandoned politics and service for the retired life of a scholar. He himself received a careful education in the manner of the time, from his father and from scholars teaching in the mosques and schools of Tunis or visiting the city, and he continued his studies when in early manhood he lived in other cities, for it was part of the tradition he inherited that a man should seek knowledge from all who could impart it. In his autobiography, he gives the names of those whose lectures he heard and the subjects they taught. The Quran, regarded by Muslims as the word of God revealed in the Arabic language through the Prophet Muhammad, the Hadith, or traditions of what the Prophet had said and done, jurisprudence, the science of law and social morality, formerly based upon Quran and Hadith, the Arabic language, without which the sciences of religion could not be understood, and also the rational sciences, mathematics, logic, and philosophy. He gives details of the personalities and lives of his teachers, and tells us that most of them, as well as his parents, died in the Black Death, the great plague which swept the world in the middle of the 14th century. At an early age, Ibn Khaldun's mastery of language and knowledge of jurisprudence drew him into the service of the ruler of Tunis, first as a secretary, and later in more responsible and therefore insecure posts. There followed twenty years of varying fortune. He left Tunis and took service with other rulers in the Maghrib. He went to Granada, capital of the last surviving kingdom of Muslim Spain, one favor there was sent on a mission to the Christian ruler of Seville, his ancestral city, but fell under suspicion and departed hurriedly for Algeria. Once more he held office, transacting government business in the morning and then teaching in the mosque. He played a part in drawing Arab or Berber chiefs of the steppes and mountains into political allegiance to the rulers he served, and the influence he gained with them was useful when, as happened again and again in his life, he fell out of favor with his master. At one such time, he spent four years, from 1375 to nine, living in a castle in the Algerian countryside under the protection of an Arab chieftain. They were years when he was free from the world's business and spent his time writing a history of the dynasties of the Maghrib set within a broad framework. The first part of this history, the Mukadima, or Prolegomena, has continued to attract attention until today. In it, Ibn Khaldun tried to explain the rise and fall of dynasties in a way which would serve as a touchstone by which the credibility of historical narratives might be judged. The simplest and earliest form of human society, he believed, was that of the people of the steppes and mountains, growing crops or rearing livestock, and following leaders who had no organized power of coercion. Such people had a certain natural goodness and energy, but could not by themselves create stable governments, cities, or high culture. For that to be possible, there had to be a ruler with exclusive authority— and such a one could establish himself only if he was able to create and dominate a group of followers possessing a sabir, that is to say a corporate spirit, oriented towards obtaining and keeping power. This group could best be drawn from the energetic men of the steppe or mountain. It could be held together by the sense of common ancestry, whether real or fictitious, or by ties of dependence and reinforced by common acceptance of a religion. 
a ruler with a strong and coherent group of followers could found a dynasty. When its rule was stable, populous cities would grow up, and in them there would be specialized crafts, luxurious ways of living, and high culture. Every dynasty, however, bore in itself the seeds of its decline. It could be weakened by tyranny, extravagance, and the loss of the qualities of command. Effective power might pass from the ruler to members of his own group, but sooner or later the dynasty might be replaced by another formed in a similar way. When this happened, not only the ruler, but the whole people on whom his power had rested and the life they had created might disappear. As Ibn Khaldun said in another context, when there is a general change of conditions, it is as if the entire creation had changed and the whole world been altered. The Greeks and Persians, the greatest powers of their time in the world, had been replaced by the Arabs, whose strength and cohesion had created a dynasty of which the power stretched from Arabia to Spain. But they, in their turn, had been replaced by Berbers in Spain and the Maghrib, and by Turks further east. The turning fortunes of rulers carried with them those of their servants. When he left for Alexandria, Ibn Khaldun was starting on a new career. He did not make the pilgrimage at this time, although he was to do so later, but went to Cairo, which struck him as a city on a different scale from those he had known, metropolis of the world, garden of the universe, meeting place of nations, anthill of peoples, high place of Islam, seat of power. Cairo was the capital of the Mamluk Sultanate, one of the greatest Muslim states of the time, covering Syria as well as Egypt. He was presented to the ruler, won his favor, and received first a pension, and then a position as teacher in one and then another of the royal schools. He sent for his family to come to him from Tunis, but they were all drowned on the...